Come on. Thanks, Ben. Man, he's a good friend all week long. It's been great. Oh, did you guys have a good one today? Oh, man. I tell you what, I had a great day today with my family, and I got to do something that I really, really love doing. I got to go to this place that I spent a lot of time called Wagon Train, and I played this game that I really love called David and Goliath. So, man. Woo! So, I'm fired up. My cup is filled, and I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Just a quick recap of where we left off. Uh, by the way, the skits, man, the skits are fantastic. I've enjoyed watching them every morning with you guys. Uh, but where we left off last night, it was our sin message. And where we left King Nebuchadnezzar is he had been reduced from this super powerful figure to this utterly powerless figure. He received a warning from his friend Daniel to repent, to turn from his old ways, to acknowledge God and the fact that the only reason he has power is because God gave it to him to begin with. And all King Nebuchadnezzar can do is talk about how amazing he is and the kingdom that he has built. And as the words leave his mouth, God does what he promised he would do in the vision and reduces him to an animal that chews on grass like a common livestock. And we read that, and maybe some of us are going, good, he deserved to be humbled. He got what he needed. Just remember, we talked about it last night. In Romans 3.23, we're kind of all in that same camp, apart from the goodness of God in our life. In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all is all-encompassing. That means that you and I, at one point or another in our lives, have sinned, are continuing to sin, will sin, and we will commit treason against an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, and he's not surprised by that. I think a lot of times we dupe ourselves into thinking that we can hide our sins in the deep, dark crevices of our lives, but God, who knows every hair on your head, which is an easy count by my scalp, but our God, even though he's well aware of every hair on your head, he's also well aware of all the things that we want to keep hidden. But yet he extends to us this amazing thing called grace in and through the person of Jesus. And tonight I'm really excited to continue in our story with Daniel, but I'm also really excited to introduce you guys to that grace that good news of great joy for all people that changes everything. And for some of you, you've heard it. And there's this dangerous thing that happens when we, come, when we become all too familiar with extravagant things, miraculous things, God-sized things. We start to become numb to it. I invite you to not be numb to the gospel. Whether it's the first time you've heard it, or the thousandth time you've heard it, or the ten thousandth time that you've heard it because it's something that impacts our life, every ounce of our being, and changes us from the inside out. That should never become common to us. We're going to spend the bulk of our message tonight in Daniel chapter 6. So if you want to follow along, go ahead and flip into your Bible to Daniel chapter 6. But I don't want to get into Daniel chapter 6 without explaining what happens to King 
Nebuchadnezzar, because that would be a bummer to like, if you didn't read it on your own, to not really know what happens to this guy that is now running around in a field and covered in hair and dew from heaven and eating lawn, right? So I'll read that. So pay attention as best you can, just so I can catch you guys up on what happens in his life while you're flipping to Daniel chapter 6. So here's what it says in Daniel chapter 4, 34 through 37. This is super cool, by the way. It says, At the end of that time, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. My favorite chapter in all of the Bible is Luke chapter 15. In fact, if you were to take my Bible right here, this is my Bible. I've had it for a very long time. It was actually my first Christmas gift that my wife gave to me. And so, pretty special. Uh, But if you go to Luke 15, right at the very top, it says, parable of the lost sheep. But in my handwriting, it says, the gospel of the gospels. And in Luke 15, there's this one parable that Jesus is teaching called the parable of the lost son. And there's one line that I really love because I've been the prodigal. I've been the lost son, as many of you have. And some of you are still lost. You're still out there doing your own thing for your own selfishness, for your own glorification. But there's this one line in that parable that I love. It says, and when he came to his senses. Oh, when he came to his senses. And he recognized how much the father loved him, how much the father cared for him, the good things that the father had for him, and the fact that he cast it all aside and chased after his own desires only to end up eating slop in a pig pen. When he came to his senses, he got up and he returned to the father. Nebuchadnezzar says he turned his eyes toward heaven and his sanity was restored and he praised the Most High honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of this earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is King Nebuchadnezzar who was just chewing on grass and now has come to his senses and recognized recognizes that there is a greater authority than himself. He continues, he says, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. My friends, a pagan God who builds a 90-foot gold statue and commands his entire civilization that he's built up to dance around it and bow to it is now recognizing that there is a God who is not only powerful but is also good and is able to do things that baffle us, is able to do things that we can't comprehend and fully understand because it's beyond our comprehension. 
He's able to deliver things like peace and joy and love and hope in ways that we can't even explain to other people, but we feel it and we know it and hopefully we trust it and we hold it as our own. Where we left off in my story, I was in a dumpster covered by my own vomit. And I looked up at God and I said, my way is terrible. I came to my senses. My way is terrible. Your way has to be better than this. And even though I don't fully understand it and I don't fully know what it means, I have to trust that it's better than the life that I've made for myself. And my friends, sometimes that's the other thing that we do to ourselves. We think, okay, if I'm going to accept this amazing grace, this, this gospel message, well then I have to have all this, this knowledge and I have to have it all figured out and all the puzzle pieces of my life put together in order to be presentable to God. You can try for as long as you can try, but you're never, you're never going to be able to put all those puzzle pieces together to make yourself presentable to God. And some of us dupe ourselves into thinking that, okay, okay, I understand the good news, but I need to clean up this area of my life and clean up this area of my life before I can say yes to that gift. No, 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 no. God loves you right where you're at, the real you, not the version that you pretend to be. See, God can't love who you pretend to be because who you pretend to be doesn't actually exist. He loves the real you as screwed up as that may be. I speak from experience. I was anything but clean when I said yes to Jesus. And he changed me from the inside out. See, I made a statement last night, and I know some of you have been wrestling with that statement. And that statement is, God is opposed to earning, but he is not opposed to effort. And really, I want to clear that up for you, because if that's a struggle, I don't want it to be. See, in the idea of earning, what is behind that is self-righteousness. God doesn't desire people who are self-righteous. If we're self-righteous, that means we're dependent on our own self and our ability to achieve, to earn a place next to God. But we can't. We can't do good enough. We can't be good enough. We can't say enough right things to earn that position. I'm here at Hume Lake Christian Camps. I live in Queen Creek, Arizona. We have a house sitter because I have some pets. I've got, uh, man, I don't even know how many tortoises because I just hatched a whole bunch of eggs, which is super cool. Um, so I have a whole bunch of tortoises and I, I've got a golden retriever and she's an 11, 11 month old puppy. Her name is Phoenix. All right. Yes. Now I know it sounds sweet, but puppies are not fun. I know they're cute, but they're super not fun. So we're really looking forward to her being about four years old because then she'll be like a nice rule-following golden retriever. But right now, she is not. So I'm here at Hume Lake Christian Camps. We have a house sitter right now that's, that's taking care of some things for us. Uh, we'll just name him Fred, all right? So when I leave and I have a house sitter at my house, I leave them instructions, all right? I leave them a long sheet of paper of things that I need them to do while I'm gone, wherever I'm going. And they hopefully follow those instructions. Here's, here's, here's the instructions that I left Fred. Water the lawn and the house plants. We live in the desert. If you don't water things, things die, okay? So water the lawn and the house plants. Feed and water the dog. Those are important things. It's a puppy. She needs to eat twice a day, 
Give her a cup of food. She will eat it. Trust me, it'll go away really quickly. Make sure she has water. Let the dog out to use the restroom every four to five hours. She's got good bladder control, but she's still a puppy. So let her outside. All right. Feed the tortoises and give them some water. Again, we live in the desert. Even tortoises need to drink water. And lastly, take out the trash on Monday. Trash comes Tuesday morning. I don't want to come home to full trash containers. Great. Seems like an easy list, correct? Cool. So now imagine with me. I come home, back to Queen Creek, Arizona. It's Saturday. And I pull into my driveway. And... I take a look at my lawn, and my lawn is dead, and all of my lovely houseplants that my wife really, really enjoys are all wilted, and they look like they're on their last leg. I then go into the backyard, and the trash cans are full, and now I got to wait a whole another couple days for them to get emptied, and that's not fun. And then I find my tortoises, and my tortoises have this sad expression on their face, like no one has given them a thing to eat or any water to drink all week long, and they're frail, and they're fragile. And then I find my golden retriever puppy, and she's got her face smashed up against the sliding glass door because she hasn't been let out in three days, and she's skin and bones because the, the, my friend Fred didn't feed her. And then all of a sudden... I come into my house, and Fred hears the door open, and he goes, Woo, Kevin, I'm so glad you're home. Man, you are awesome. I really love this list that you left me. Man, this list is awesome. I've read it like 65 times. I know it backwards and forwards. I even copied your handwriting so that my penmanship looked just like your penmanship. And, oh, man, I know exactly what you want me to do. I know that you want me to feed the dog, and I know you want me to let her out every four to five hours, and I know that the tortoises need water, and I know that the trash comes on Tuesday morning. Kevin, you're awesome and so is your list. Woo! What would I say to Fred? Hey, Fred, I left you the list so that you could do what is on it, not so that you could simply just memorize it and not allow it to change your behavior. See, if it's all about earning then all we are doing as we are reading God's word or supposedly being about his business is we are paying lip service to Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, you are so awesome and your word is so true. And then we leave whatever environment causes us to do that. And then we live for ourselves. We are a double standard. We simply glorify him with our mouth. And then the very next second, we are glorifying ourselves with the same mouth. That, my friends, is a picture of earning. Jesus is not looking for lip service. He's looking for followers who believe his gospel to be true. And they turn their lives over to him as Lord and Savior of all. Now, effort. I said God is not opposed to effort. Effort is self-denial. Earning is self-righteousness. Effort is self-denial. And I know that that sounds weird, but think about it. If you are going to deny yourself, if you are going to trust an almighty power more than you trust yourself, and you are going to cast your preferences aside, that takes effort. 
It takes day after day after day of continual dependence and growth in this relationship that you have with Jesus. That takes effort. It takes desire. It takes heart. Today, I told you I had the opportunity to play David and Goliath with my family. One of my family members is five. He got to be an honorary Goliath. Goliaths are usually adults. Cannon was hanging with dad. You know why? Because the creek is really, really high, and he is not so big. And so we were concerned that if we just let our five-year-old run off to, into the woods and be left to his own devices, we might never find that guy again. And so we came to the creek, and I said, Cannon, hold daddy's hand. And he's like, never! And he takes off, and he runs, and he goes to like figure out his own way in the creek. And I'm like, no, 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 don't. Don't do that. A, because I don't want to clean you up when we're done with this game, but B, it's just not safe. Cannon, come to dad. No. And he's like diving into bushes and he's like trying to throw frisbees at kids. And I'm like, Cannon, stop it. Come to dad. And then finally he's like, <clears throat> and he grabs my hand. And I pick that little dude up. And I jump across the creek. The creek's really high right now. There's been a lot of snow and stuff up here. I jump across the creek and we get to the other side. And the other side, there's a whole bunch of Davids. That's like third through fifth graders. Whole bunch of them with one Frisbee. And I say, Cannon, it's a wide open meadow. Stay with dad. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and so we went around and we were just pegging kids. I'm like, like this. And, and then I'm like, Cannon. I'm going to duck, you throw. And I'm like, Whoosh. and he's like, ah, and he's like ninja in these kids, right? He's having a blast. There's this huge smile on his face. He's having a grand old time. Look, if he didn't stay with dad, if he didn't deny his self and his own tendency and his own preferences, he never would have made it to the meadow. He never would have had a grand time hitting kids with Frisbees. He would have been stuck in a bush or worse, but he had to cast aside his preference and trust his dad. And dad led him someplace that he never would have gotten on his own. That is effort. It takes energy. It takes focus. Look, we've been talking about this Megatron of the faith in Daniel. And I don't want you guys to, to lose sight of the fact that before Daniel was Daniel, this man of character that we've been studying, Daniel was you guys. Daniel was a young person. Daniel was a, a, a young man that grew up in Judah and he heard about a God who has a faithful hand and loves his people. And he has a desire for, for them to choose him back. And Daniel chose him back and he trusted his hand that was going to lead him by still waters and allow him to lie down in green pastures. And even when he went through hard times and scary things, that that God would go with him. And he built upon that foundation day after day after day as he learned over and over and over to trust God's hand over his own thoughts, feelings, and desires. And as he did that, it changed everything. Now, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar's gone. A new ruler takes place. We're not going to even talk about that guy. But Daniel chapter 6, now you got King Darius. And King Darius is part of a different civilization. 
a different civilization. So now you've got the exiles that were exiles in Babylon. They're now exiles with another ruler and another authority and another regime with different rules and different gods and different thoughts. But Daniel remains faithful. He remains true to who he is, not who he is as Daniel, but who he is in God. He prays. He prays a lot. And he gains favor with this new king named King Darius. And King Darius loves this guy. He's infatuated with Daniel. He listens to him. They share stories. They share lives. King Darius puts him in charge of a great deal of things. And all of his other advisors and his officials start to become jealous. So they pull King Darius aside. And they're like, hey, you're super great. And you're super mighty. What you need to do is you need to put in this new rule that no one can pray to anybody but you. No one can worship anybody but you. And they do this because they know that Daniel is faithful to his God. They know that even though the circumstances will change, Daniel will remain faithful. That's how much his character is known. And so they use that to trap him. And so King Darius goes, ooh, I like the sound of that. And so he puts this decree in order. Daniel's then captured, taken and put in front of the king. And the king has no choice but to carry out the decree that he's put into place. And that's where we pick up our story. So if you're in Daniel chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 16. All right, hopefully you're there. Here's what it says, starting in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16. It says, so the king gave the order. They brought in Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Look at this. Pagan king, even he recognizes that Daniel serves God continually, faithfully, It's at his core. It's all of his being. So much so that Darius recognizes it. It says, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. A signet ring is unique to every ruler. They would take the ring, they would pour hot wax, and then they would push the ring into it. Anything that they wanted to remain sealed. If that seal was broken, then that means that that seal was tampered with. But this was one of those moments where that needed to be remained sealed so that Daniel's fate would be sealed along with it. And it wasn't just the king's signet ring, but it was his advisor's as well. It says in verse 18, Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. This king cared a great deal about Daniel and about his well-being. He had earned favor because not only was he faithful to God, but because he was faithful to God, it impacted the way that he treated people. And in the end, my friends, the only things that matter in this world are God and people. Verse 19, At the first light of dawn, the king didn't waste any time. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? He can't even wait for the stone to be moved. He's just yelling it. He's like, hey, you faithful guy, did your God show up? He's like super excited because he's nervous. He's filled with anguish. It's like when you're waiting in line at a roller coaster and you're about to get to the front of the line, your guts do that gurgly thing. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like super nervous, but you're super excited, but you don't know which one to be, right? This is the king right here. He's nervous and he's excited because he thinks that Daniel's God's going to show up, but he's also nervous that he won't. And so he cries out to him before the stone even gets moved. Verse 21, Daniel answered, 
May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. God showed up for Daniel in a miraculous way. He closed the mouths of the lions, the things that wanted to devour him, and he walked out of that tomb unharmed. That's how God worked back then. That's how God works today. My friends, there's a whole bunch of things in this world that are like roaring lions that want to devour us, that want to define us, that want to tear us apart from the inside out. And you've got a God who desires to heal you, to shield you, to save you, and to cleanse you from the inside out. No matter who you are or what you've done or what's been done to you, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Trust that. Imagine with me, and by the way, this is a fictional story, so no one freak out. Imagine with me, we're in this room and all of a sudden, it starts to get a little hot in here. And so we, we start to kind of test some of the exits, and all the exits seem to be stuck. They seem to be closed for good, sealed, and the heat intensifies. Then all of a sudden, there's this thick layer of smoke that starts to fill this entire area. You and I start to cough. We're gasping for air, clean air at least. All of us start to put our heads together as what the best course of action is to get out of this room alive. We start to panic a little bit. It sets in. We start to feel as if it's out of our hands. It's out of our control. That's, that's because it is. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting up here and I'm exhausting all my resources and efforts. And I, I, I see this lever back here. And I don't know what this lever does, but it's, it's behind this this thick beam, and there's maybe a couple of inches of, of space between the wall and the beam, but I could see this lever, and because I've tried everything else and we've tried everything else, I have to imagine if I could just reach, and based on my wingspan, I think I got the best shot, if I could just reach to get to that lever, somehow wedge my body between that beam and that wall to pull that lever, maybe, just maybe, we could walk out of these doors together and be free. But as hard as I try, I can't. I can't reach I can't make my arm longer, although I wish I was in a Space Jam movie because that seems to work for them. And I reach, and I can't. I can't do it. And so it seems as though our fate is sealed. And then all of a sudden, I feel a little tug on my pant leg, and I look down, and it's my buddy Cannon, my five-year-old. And he looks at me, and he goes, Daddy, I, th I think I could pull the lever. And I'm like, but no, it's too dangerous, man. I don't want to, that's a really small area. And he goes, Dad, I think I can fit. And I said, no, man, don't worry. Daddy will come up with a different way. It's fine. Daddy will figure it out. We'll figure it out. There's a lot of smart people in this room. Somebody in here is a rocket scientist. And, and, and so Cannon looks at me and he goes, no, Dad, seriously, though, I think I can do it. And I look at him and I go, all right, bud. Let's give it a shot. And I watch as my little five-year-old wedges himself between the wall 
in the beam. And he makes it. And he looks at me and he goes, Daddy, do I pull it? Go ahead, bud. My little five-year-old reaches up and he pulls that lever. And as he pulls that lever down, those doors fly open. And a door from the basement slides up, separating me from him. Sealing his fate, but allowing us freedom. I tell you that story, and I want you to know from this dad to you that I would never, ever, 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 ever do that for any single one of you in this room. Trust that. God did that very same thing for us. Each and every single one of us. While we were still his enemies, while we were dead in our transgressions, God sees us in a fate that we can't possibly dig ourselves out of. He sends his son, his one and only son. He wraps him in flesh. He sends him to this earth to live a perfect life something that you and I can't do, only to die a gruesome death because the wages of sin is death and the blood of bulls and rams can't cover it. He dies that death. And if he stays in the grave, then we're not talking about him today, but he defeats that grave, proving to us that he has the authority and the power to make dead things live again, which is really good news for each and every one of us in this room. The only difference is between the hypothetical story that I gave you and what God did for us is no one twisted his arm. It wasn't his last resort. It wasn't he had exhausted every other resource and that's the one thing he has left. That was his plan of redemption all along, spurred on by his love for you and for me. Romans 5, 8, even though you and I are all sinners, Romans 5, 8 says this, and guys, I invite you to write down all of these verses in Romans that I'm going to read and look them up later because, man, are they gold. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is an action word. God demonstrates his own love for us by sending his one and only son to pay a price that you and I had earned. There's this song, most of us in this room, if you grew up in church, probably learned it. It says this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. That's a great song and all. I would change one word. And if I'm going to change one word of that song, it's this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible shows me so. See, God demonstrated his own love for us by sending his son. And between these two covers of his holy and truthful word, he shows you on every page how much he loves you. Not with his words, but with his actions. Because my friends, actions speak louder than words. 
He sends his only son, and as his son is being spit on and ridiculed and beaten, a crown of thorns is twisted together and shoved onto his head. He carries a crossbeam to his own grave. He's going to be strung up by nails through his wrists and through his feet on that crossbar in which he carried to this hill in between two ordinary common day criminals. And God, the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of all things has to sit there and watch as his wrath for of all people of all sin for all time is poured out on his son, God, the God that is a relational God. Remember from the beginning, all three of them existed. They were all there on the day of creation. When we were made in his image, he didn't say, I'm going to make people in my image. He says, I'm going to make people in our image. There's three of them, right? There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. It's one God, but it's three persons. It's three persons, but it's one God. And now you've got Jesus, the Son, wrapped in flesh, Hanging on a cross. And God the Father is watching as he's pouring out his wrath on his son. As he's carrying on the shoulders the sin, the punishment that we have earned. Our wages of sin is death. And it is placed upon his son. And his son in Matthew 27 verse 50 and 51. He is hurting and he is broken and he is bleeding. And he says... He cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. Another version says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he breathes out his last breath, the skies are dark and in the temple, the veil is torn, not from bottom to top, because if it was torn from bottom to top, that means that earning works. That means that there's enough that you and I can do to earn our way to God. But no, the veil that separated people from God is torn, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. Because God made it away as his son's blood was shed on our behalf. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, it's a free gift that will cost you everything. Look, Jesus didn't come to this earth to die a gruesome death and then defeat it three days later so that he could be your homeboy. Jesus didn't come to this earth so that you could sing songs to him on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Jesus didn't come to this earth to give you a good life or an easy life or even a clean life. Jesus came to this earth so that you could accept that gift of grace that his blood and resurrection earned for you and for me. He came so that you could say yes to him. And in that moment, he wouldn't give you a clean life, but he would obliterate your life and make him the center of your existence. And then every day that you're given after that point is a day to honor him and glorify him and grow closer to him and understand what true love and true identity is because it's found in him as your foundation. That's what he came to do for each and every single one of us, no matter who you are, what you've done, or what's been done to you. That's how much he loves you. Romans 8, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, there is now no con condemnation. Because of everything that Jesus has done for you, there is no more shame to be thrown upon you. If anything, Jesus says shame off you, while the world that we live in says shame on you. He says, no, no, no. I change those, those words around. 
Look, a lot of you are like me in this room. You're running from Jesus because you think that he is going to try and collect something that you owe him. I know what that's like. I did that for 19 years. Can't possibly say yes to Jesus because he's going to collect something from me. When in reality, Jesus is chasing after you to give you something that you could never afford. Just say yes, guys. It's that simple. Let me read the rest of 1 and 2. Now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives or the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You and I, we carry these slates apart from Jesus that have all of our grievances on him, all of our sins, all the things that separate us from a righteous and holy God. I used to think that when I said yes to Jesus that he would just wipe those clean and I was given a second chance. That's wrong. That's false. You know why I know that? Because if I'm given a second chance, I'm going to screw it up again. I'm going to fill that whiteboard with a whole bunch of grievances and a whole bunch of sins. The moment that you and I say yes, the moment that you and I say yes to Jesus, we don't get a clean start. Instead, we get a slate. Then, instead of all of our sins and all of our grievances with our name at the top, we get a slate with His name at the top and all of His glorious attributes fill it up. So that when God, the holy and righteous Creator of everything that we will ever know and have ever known, looks at us. He doesn't see us in our frailty. He sees his son. And because of Jesus' work and the gift that he extends to us, he calls us son and he calls us daughter. Some of you are like, well, how do I accept this gift? Well, Romans makes that pretty clear too. It says this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And I know what it's like to think that there's a lot of ways to get to heaven, but Jesus is really clear. His word is true. He's faithful. He's just, and he's truthful. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the God that makes promises and keeps his promises, when he speaks truth, he means his truth. Lastly, I want to leave you with this verse. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is for those that are new to Jesus, and this is, are, is for those that have been following Jesus for a really long time. Therefore, meaning in light of everything that Jesus has done for us, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what Daniel did. That's why he's in Bible. It's because he offered his body as a living sacrifice to a God that is faithful and true. He says, Offer it as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of the Babylonians. Do not conform to the pattern of the lions of this world that want to devour you from the inside out. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you are found in Jesus, you are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. I showed you my son's art piece. You guys remember that? It's a couple nights ago. There it is, a little refresher. I talked about the fact, I talked about the fact that if you want to know what something is, you ask the artist, right? And that comes, that's true about God, the fact that he crafted you and he knows you better than you know yourself. He is the artist of all things, and he made you, and he loves you. But there's something special that happens when we say yes to Jesus, when we accept that gift of grace. We're called son, daughter. We're also called heir. In that moment, 
that we say yes to Jesus, we are grafted into God's family. And no longer are you just looked at as creation, but you are looked at as family. And in that moment when you say yes to Jesus, the redeemer of all people, the giver of good news, of good grace, of great joy for all people, he takes out a pen. And just like my little boy right there in the corner because he's proud of his artwork, Gunner wrote his little name in his four-year-old penmanship. He writes it right there in the bottom right corner. When you say yes to Jesus, Jesus looks at you. God looks at you. And because of Jesus' work, his redeeming work, changing your heart and your mind, not just for today, but for all time, for all eternity, Jesus takes out a pen and he signs the bottom right corner of your life. You are no longer artwork. You are a masterpiece. You are a child of an almighty all-redeeming, all-creative God. And no matter what you do with this life, let it be to his glory. And every single day that he gives you, draw closer and closer to him. My friends, the worst thing that we can do with this life is succeed in something that doesn't really matter. So why not go all in with the one person who does? My friend, in this room, there's some of you that are hearing that good news for the very first time. And right now, I just want to take a moment. I want to take a moment, and I want to pray with you just a simple prayer. There's nothing special about this prayer. But what we're going to do is we're going to do exactly what Romans instructs us to do. We're, we're going to declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And for some of you, that's going to be the first time that you've accepted that good news. And I pray that it changes everything for you. And when I get done praying, if that's you, if that's you, if you accepted that good news of great joy, then I'm going to challenge you to stand and allow this to be your first act of boldness for Christ, for God, in a world that seems desperately opposed to him. And the rest of us, for those that stand here in a minute, we're just going to cheer because God is up to great things. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, man. We thank you for your good news. Lord, we thank you for sending your son in our moment of need, in our moment of frailty. Lord, when we were lost, when we were dead in our transgressions, you see us. You extend to us this grace, Lord. My friends in this audience, man, some of them for the very first time are trusting you, not just a piece, but they want all of you. Lord, we pray that you just fill hearts in a way that only you know how to do. We pray that you just change hearts, transform minds. And today is the day that they walk hand in hand with their Father, trusting your plan above their own. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God that sees us where we're at but doesn't desire us to stay where we're at but wants a relationship with us and wants to change everything. Lord God, I know that they're celebrating right now in heaven, Lord, and I'm excited to celebrate with my friends that are choosing you choosing you, casting themselves aside, saying, I want that relationship and I want to invest in it day after day after day for every day that you give me on this planet. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're God that's for us. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, if you accepted that good news of great joy, man, please stand so we could celebrate with you, man. We're excited of what God's doing in your life right here. Yeah, come on. Right there in the back, right here. Right there, Leah. Come on, right there, right here in the back. I see you. Right there, my man. I see you. That's right. I see you over here. 
right here. Oh, man, guys. Man. That's right. Proud of you guys. Yeah. Man. So proud of you guys, man. After, after we have a time of worship, we're going to celebrate together with what God has done and is continuing to do in this place. And when we get done with this song, man, I want to invite you guys to just stay back and have some conversations with the counselors, maybe the people in your cabin. Man, God, you are so good. Thank you for changing these hearts. Let's worship together, y'all. Stand on up. <laughs>